Philippians in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, I want to read verses 4 through 7, Philippians chapter 4. Upon finding that, please pray with me. Father in heaven, I come to your word and I pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our whole beings to see this. Father, that you would be gracious to us and enable us to trust in you in a way that brings you glory and shows you to be powerful, strong, caring, that we might witness that there is great sufficiency in Christ Jesus our Lord. So please be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These opening words strike, I think, uh, a very universal uh, nerve in us, this whole notion of worry, this whole notion of anxiety. It seems to be built into our very being. Even as I read the verse, I get nervous, thinking, well, am I not supposed to worry? What really is anxiety anyway? And, 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 and there seems to be so much right before us that would be very consistent with a worrisome life. Politically, we see uh, war, uh, around us and we wonder about it. We even wonder about the present situation in which we found ourselves. Is it really over? Is the most dangerous part for our soldiers really ahead? And how will this all work out? And what's next uh, on the horizon, socially, culturally? Uh, we wonder about the, the f- fabric of our own families. We see, for instance, the cover of Newsweek magazine this week uh, speaking to the issue of same-gender marriage. And we wonder what will the family look like in the days, in the years, in the decades to come, what will happen in the context of our schools. We look at the world in which we live and we realize that injustice still exists, poverty still exists, and we wonder, we worry, not only for those in that particular situation, but will that strike our own families, our own lives, and what will that be really, really like? We wonder, in the context of our own health, what's going to happen down the road? Uh, We continue to read the obituaries and read where 20-year-olds die. 40-year-olds die and 60-year-olds die. We think that's too young and we wonder what about the course of our own lives and we begin to think and we begin to worry about that in that context. We worry about our own loneliness. Those who are married worry, will I ever marry? Those who are married wonder, will this marriage continue to be strong and firm because we look at the marriages around us and see them falling and wonder what will really happen in the context of our own lives. We look at the economy, we wonder about our job, we wonder about jobs in general, we wonder about our retirement, we wonder if we're going to have enough money. It just seems that worry is built into the very fabric of our lives, the very fabric of our society, the very fabric of our culture, the very fabric of our situations. And we wonder how is it that anyone like the Apostle can say something to the effect of don't be anxious in the midst of all of that. I bet you know what makes you worry. I bet you can make a list, some short, some long, some detailed, perhaps general, but you know what makes you worry. You know what keeps you up at night. You know what makes you anxious. The apostle says, don't be. We say, thank you very much. 
Because we know there's a good kind of a concern. There's a kind of a concern that's good for others and even in the context of ourselves, for instance, in Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 20, the apostle uses the very same word that he uses for anxiety in uh, verse 7 here of chapter 4, but in chapter 2, verse 20, he uses the very same word and it's almost always translated a bit differently, as well it should. In my version, the ESV, it reads like this. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's talking about Timothy and he's saying, Timothy's really interested in you, church, the church in Philippi. He's really interested in you. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. It would be inappropriate to translate that to say that he's anxious for you. Because that puts it sort of a, a negative spin. Paul wants to say this is a good thing that he's generally concerned to you. Love for you. Love is generally concerned. Love is sincerely concerned for others. But that's not the same as what he means when he talks about anxiety. Paul speaks of this even of himself in 2 Corinthians, for instance, in chapter 12 and verse 28. The context here is that Paul is talking about all the things in his life that has made his life rather difficult. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being um, hungry. He talks about being left for dead. He talks about all kinds of things like that, being imprisoned. And now he comes in verse 28 and he says, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my, and most versions say this, of my concern for all the churches. My version even uses the word anxiety at that point, though I think that's a bad choice. He says, my concern for all the churches. That's a good concern. He says, listen, I I love the people in these churches. I love the churches themselves, and I'm concerned for them. I want to make sure that they're walking with Christ. I want to make sure that they're at peace with one another. I want to make sure that they're about the work of the gospel. I want to make sure that they're loving people. I want to make sure that they're doing all the things that the church should be doing and believing all the things that the church should be believing. I think about this all the time. I pray about this. I write to this end. Sometimes late at night, it keeps me awake in a good sense because I love them and I'm concerned Uh, for them. In fact, Paul is very specific as well in the context of the church. For instance, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, in this great passage about the body of Christ, about how it is that each one of us is gifted differently uh, by the Holy Spirit for the common good, for the good of us all. And he speaks to that. And he said, uh, let me begin reading in the middle of verse 24 where I have a sentence break. He says, but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, the body of Christ, that the members may have the same care for one another, the same concern for one another. He goes on to say this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That is, he's saying, listen, we're to be concerned for one another. So much so that if someone amongst us is suffering, it hurts us all. And if someone is rejoicing, it makes us all happy. That kind of mutual concern, one for another, is a good thing. We know that. We know there's a good concern even for ourselves. We know we need rest. We need health. Uh, we need exercise. We need, we need to eat. We need to work. We need relationships. And so we should be concerned about those things in the course of our lives. If we're not eating healthily, we probably should. If we're not exercising regularly, we probably should. If we don't have good friends and relationships, we're lonely, we probably should. We know that to be true about ourselves. And so there's a good concern even about ourselves. But there's this, this bad concern. There's this concern that leads to anxiety. Jesus spoke of it, you remember, in the Sermon on the Mount. I read this for our, our offering time, these verses. 
from Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, same word, do not be anxious, about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink or, what, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more valuable than they? Saying, don't be anxious about these things that, he could put parenthetically, normally make you anxious about what you're going to eat. Will you have enough? About what you wear. Will you be covered well and warm? And in our culture, cool. Um, that's cute, I thought. Uh, don't worry about these things. Well, on the basis of what? He says, because God cares for you. You see, the, the birds think we're fools. They wonder about us. But he said, no, 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 God cares for you. You know the little rhyme, said the robin to the spirit, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin, friend. I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. See, the birds are going around with this little buzz going, what's with these people? Why are they so worried about all these things? Don't they have a heavenly father like, like we do, who supplies worms? Whenever we need them, what's with them? So you see, Jesus says, don't be anxious, but trust. Notice, again, in Matthew in chapter 10, in verse 19, Jesus even says we shouldn't be anxious when we are persecuted and come before those who are oppressing us. He says this, he says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. He says, listen, don't worry about that, rather trust God. And then in Matthew 13, in what we know to be as the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of the word of God, various seed going out. And as that seed is going out, uh, it, it, it falls in various places. And one of the places upon which it can fall is thorny soil. And the great danger of the thorny soil, of course, is that when those thorns grow up, they can choke out that seed and the plant will never sprout, the plant will die. And he says it's like that with the word of God. And he says if the word of God falls in figuratively speaking, thorny ground. He can choke out the very word of God. And this is how he puts it in verse 22 of Matthew 13. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares, the concerns, the worries, the anxieties, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. He's saying there's, there's a worry, there's an anxiety, there's a concern that causes you to cease trusting in God. And you see, that's the point at which this good concern can move to anxiety and worry. It's when the situation and our concern over it causes us to have such blinders on that we're unable to see this situation in the context of God. And we think, oh, it's really up to us. That's why the birds say that we rush about and worry so. That's why they don't think we have a Heavenly Father that, that cares for them, cares for us as, that, as He cares for them. Because it appears as if we think all of this depends on ourselves, and we think all this depends on ourselves. that our concentration, our sights get so limited. That's when anxiety begins to happen. That's when worry comes. And that's the kind of anxiety, the kind of worry, the kind of concern that Paul says we shouldn't have. We shouldn't be anxious like that. In fact, we needn't be anxious like that. 
So he comes to us, you see, with an antidote. And this antidote is exactly what we need. He says it's the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds. Because you see, that's really ultimately where the problem is in our hearts and minds. Circumstances are circumstances. But the real problem is in our hearts that is the very personality of our person, who we really are, and our inclinations and thoughts and understandings, our hearts and our minds. That's where the problem is. Because you see, we're not unobservant. We see things happen. And we're not stupid. We know good things and we know bad things. And it's as if there's a board meeting that meets in our hearts and there's only two participants, our mind and our emotions. And there they are. And our mind says things like, did you see what happened? And our, heart goes, and our, our emotions go, oh no, that's terrible. And our mind says, oh, it could be worse. And our emotions go, oh no, don't tell me that. And we begin to focus in so narrowly on the situation. Because our minds continue to examine it, you see. We had hoped, many, that technology would solve some of our anxieties because we get so good in health care, for instance. And there are times when technology does remove some anxiety. You go to the doctor and he uses a special test. He says everything is okay. But other times we go to the doctor and he uses that same technology and finds stuff we never knew was there. And we worry, what's he going to find this time? We have cell phones that we carry around with us all the time. Helps reduce anxiety. When our kids are gone, we can call them and we can find out where they are and they can call in and it makes us feel good. But then when they're not answering their phone, we go, wonder what happened. I wonder if they're really okay. What's really going on here? And of course, the greatest anxiety of all, am I spending too much for my phone service? (laughs) Because there's so many plans and we begin to worry. I just heard of another one. I could be doing better. I could be calling longer and farther and cheaper. The anxiety develops in our hearts and in our minds. So he says, I'll give you the peace of God to guard that heart and mind. Well, how does that happen? How does all that work? Notice what he says here. in verse. The end of verse 5 is really is very helpful. He says, the Lord is at hand. He's right here near to you. There's a great passage in the, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Excuse me. Deuteronomy in chapter 4 and verse 7. This is a situation where Moses is, is talking to the people and, and rehearsing with God about the greatness of belonging to him. And notice what he says in verse 7 of, of Deuteronomy 4. He says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him, whenever we pray to him? He says, God is so near. What a blessed people. What a special people to have a God so near that he hears us when we call upon him. So Paul says, the Lord is near, therefore, don't be anxious about anything. He's so near. Since he's so near, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't be anxious, rather pray. Don't be anxious, instead pray. And we understand that when we pray, it isn't to inform God of what's going on so much. It's not as if he doesn't know. He does know. And I think if you went to the apostle and he said, Paul, why do I need to make these requests known to God when he already knows? I think the apostle would simply return by saying, why wouldn't you? 
Why wouldn't you want to talk to God about this? Why wouldn't you want to engage with him in this? J.I. Packer puts it like this. He says, prayer is the recognition that God is the author and source of all the good you have already and all the good that you hope for in the future. He says, listen, understand what prayer is. It isn't trying to convince God to do something that he wouldn't otherwise do. And it isn't informing him of something he doesn't otherwise know. It's in the context of your relationship. It's your recognition that God is the author and source of all the good that you already have and all the good that you hope for in the future. And so you begin to pray. And as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when we begin to pray, we begin to refocus. We begin to think upon God, not so much our situation. We begin to think upon God, and we think upon God as our Father. And if we know Him as our Father, it helps us tremendously. Ah, a loving, caring, compassionate Father who is in heaven, all-powerful, all-wise. There is nothing that can thwart Him, nothing beyond Him. And he's the one who's holy. And everything about the earth and everything about our lives should be holy. And it's his kingdom that's important. So it's his rule, his kingdom that's to come, his will that's to be done. And so the focus of our attention moves from our situation to God and brings us, no doubt, a measure of confidence because we realize it's God who's really in charge, not us. We aren't alone. We bring him into the situation. We bring him into the equation. He's there, but in our consciousness we see him. Yes, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be holy. Righteous, holy be your name. It's your kingdom. It's your will. That's what this is all about. And he says, pray with thanksgiving. And you say, well, how can I pray thankfully when I'm anxious? Well, it's because you begin to think about God. And you begin to think who he is and what he really has done. First, that he is so near to you that he hears you. What a great thing to be thankful for. Oh, God, you're here. What a great thing to be thankful for that he's your father in heaven if you're a believer in Christ. He's your father in heaven. That he is holy. That he is all wise. That he is powerful. That he is, as the apostle says in Romans 8, for us. That's what could be against us. Who could be against us? Begin to be thankful for all that he's done for us already in Christ Jesus. Begin to realize all the good that has come because of him and all the good that he still promises to bring. And your mind begins to concentrate and focus attention on that. You don't come to him angry. You don't come to him bitter. You come to him with thanksgiving. And you see all your focus, all your mind is then upon him. And then he says, make your requests known to him. That is, what's on your mind? What's really troubling you? What's really there? Tell him. And then he gives to us this great promise. and We need to read it carefully. Because he says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul doesn't say about this prayer. He doesn't say that God will necessarily change your circumstance. He doesn't say he won't, but he doesn't say he will. That's not the promise here. It doesn't say, an almighty God who is Lord of all will make your circumstances to your liking. It's not the guarantee. He says, but the peace of God will guard 
your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right where you need it. He'll set up a guard around your heart. He'll set up a guard around your mind. And that guard will be the guard of peace. Now, realize, and this is a subtle little point, so think with me on this. This will help you. But you have to think, all right? So I'm getting in my thinking position. Now, let's talk. What he doesn't say here is that the act of praying will make you feel more peaceful. And I say that because more and more we're reading psychological studies which measure the well-being and peace of people who pray. And they measure the well-being of people who pray by making the right observation. And that is that people who pray often feel more peaceful. In fact, people who pray are often not only not only emotionally, but physically healthier than people who don't. But if you'll notice in these studies, they almost never make a distinction between praying in the name of Jesus and just sort of praying. The notion is that everybody just prays, and so praying people are better off emotionally and physically. They observe that. They're probably right. But that's a psychological phenomenon, not a spiritual one. The psychological phenomenon is that people who have this sense of transcendence, that have this sense that there's somebody over them who cares for them, that they can talk to on a regular basis, that actually can psychologically make you feel better, more at peace, and if you're more at peace emotionally, doctors tell us, it's likely that other things equal, you're going to be physically healthier too. That's all probably true, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that when you begin to pray and when you begin to focus your attention upon God with thanksgiving, that you'll feel more peaceful. That's not his promise. Now, you probably will because you're thinking upon God, but that's not his point. His point is that in response to your requests, God will do something. He will do something. This isn't a psychological phenomenon. This is a spiritual work of God. And what he says he'll do is he'll send his peace to guard your heart and your mind to keep it from anxiety. And what he means by that, he'll send his peace to guard your heart and your mind so that you'll continue to trust in him. Let me give you some illustrations. Psalm number three. Psalm number three, it's a psalm of David. The byline on this psalm is this. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, that's a horrible situation. Absalom was the son of David, and Absalom wanted to be king, and so he went against his father, and his father, therefore, had to flee for his life from his son. That's the situation in which we find David. And here's what he says in verse 1. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. David's saying, my foes are all around me. In fact, what they're saying is, I'm not even saved. I don't even belong to God. That's the position in which he found himself socially. Verse 3. 
But you, O Lord, are a shield about me and and my glory and the lifter of my head. Verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord. That's Old Testament language for he prayed. Right? He cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. And here's the most important line. I lay down and slept. Was that amazing? Is that amazing? He lay down and slept. It was as if there was a guard around his heart and mind. The situation didn't change. Notice what he says in in verse 6. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. You know, even on a bad day, I don't even think a thousand people hate me. I can have bad days. But I'm not usually into the thousands. But, but, But David realizes... Because Absalom has an army, that there are thousands of people out there gunning for him. Thousands of people who believe the lies of his son. Thousands of people who are against him. And yet in the midst of that, he goes to bed. And he sleeps. Why? Because he cried out to the Lord, who was the lifter of his head. Now that's a wonderful little phrase. We sing about that all the time. The Lord is the lifter of my head. Poetically, it means... He lifts your head. It means he lifts it up from being face down in the dirt. He lifts it up from looking right at the circumstances and being afraid of everything that you see. He lifts it up. You know, the great benediction, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He lifts up your head that he might shine right in your face. David saw that and he said, Good night. Second Chronicles in chapter 20. If you've been hanging around me at all, you know this one. It's always this illustration. Always comes to mind. One of my favorite people, Jehoshaphat. You know the story, I suspect it's a situation where Jehoshaphat sees that there are enemies who are around him on every corner and he's with essentially women and children, doesn't have his big army with him. And even if he did, he'd be in great danger. Verse 3 of Second Chronicles 20 says the most realistic and rational thing it can possibly say about Jehoshaphat in the midst of that situation. It simply says, in my version, there, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Well, of course he was. You could get some anxiety worked up in the midst of that situation. But notice what he does. He follows some centuries before it was spoken, the admonition of the apostle when when it says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. Don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And so he is afraid, he's anxious, But he seeks the face of the Lord, not only him, but it goes on and says, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He said, listen, we've got to pray. We don't have time to eat. And who can eat at a time like this anyway? We need to fast and we need to pray. And all Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And so you can imagine here, anxiety but no prayer. But I don't have time to read the whole prayer, but as he begins to pray, what Jehoshaphat does is he doesn't begin by telling God what's going on with all the enemies. He begins to tell him 
about himself that is about God. He begins to say, God, you're the great God who called us. You're the great God who's delivered us. You're the great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the, ones who've made, you're the one who made great promises to us. And so you see, he begins to pray with thanksgiving of who God is and has been in the life of the people. And then in verse 10, he begins to lay out for them the situation. And he says, And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came to the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know. This is the best rhyme, by the way, in Scripture. Hallmark really needs to grab a hold of this one. It really works. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I see at that moment in time, God would answer his prayer by putting a guard around his heart and around his mind. Now, he does that very visually in this particular instance because the prophet comes to him and says, Jehoshaphat, don't be afraid. The battle's not yours. It's God's. And then the most significant phrase in this whole account is in verse 20. Now, the NIV misses this, but if you have a New American Standard or like I have the English Standard Version, you'll get it. For it simply says this, and they rose early in the morning. Now that's significant because in order to rise early in the morning, it means you must have gone to bed. And if you can go to bed, and if you can sleep, when your enemies are right there ready to attack you, and they're bigger and stronger than you are, then God must have put a guard around your heart and your mind, and that guard must be peace. You see, when I'm anxious, I often think of this particular incident, and the picture that I have in my mind about the guard, I have these angels, you see, and they're walking around my heart and around my mind. And they have, I don't know why, but my angels always have guns over their shoulders. The guy thing, I, I think. I, I don't know why. But anyway, that's the picture in my mind. And, and as they're walking around my heart and mind, they're saying, Bill, don't be anxious. The battle isn't yours, but it's God's. Oh, yeah. Don't be anxious about what you'll eat or what you'll wear or where you'll live. The battle isn't yours. It's, don't, don't, don't be anxious about that situation because the battle's not yours. It isn't God. That doesn't mean God won't call you to do something in the midst of this battle as he does Jehoshaphat. They get to go sing and then all the enemies kill themselves. But, but the battle isn't yours. It's God's. Round and round our heart. Last one. John chapter 17. The Lord Jesus himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often meditated upon and wondered how it is that the Lord Jesus could be so at peace as he went to the cross. Now you might say, well, he had the great advantage of being the Son of God. I'll grant you that. But remember what Philippians 2 says. Though in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, the form of a human being, and he humbled himself. Meaning, that in his human nature, in the mystery of the incarnation, and this is mysterious, but in the mystery of who Jesus is, he was utterly dependent upon his heavenly Father. He was utterly dependent 
upon the Holy Spirit who had come to him at his baptism. And so when Jesus prayed, he really prayed. And the effect of prayer, the answer to prayer for Jesus, was the perfect answer to prayer that all human beings should come to know. And so as Jesus begins to pray what we call his high priestly prayer, he begins to pray with thanksgiving. Oh, Father, glorify yourself. Father, thank you for, for, for revealing yourself to these and not losing any of them at all. Thank you for giving them to me. And then he begins to make his requests. Oh, Father, keep them. Keep them safe from the evil one. Sanctify them by your truth. Uh, bring them so that they will be with me and see my glory. He makes his requests known to the Father. And then he goes out and peacefully faces the cross. And I know what some of you are probably thinking. It's the same thing that I was thinking all week long because I thought, how shall I answer this? Some of you are saying, but, but you know, I pray all the time about things and I still feel anxious about them. And I was thinking, well, how do I answer that? And I thought, I don't know exactly. I'm not that smart. But I do know this. At first, this isn't everything God says about anxiety, but it's a lot. And I guess I would rather say, keep on praying, than say, stop. Continue to trust that God will bring to you this garrison of peace around your heart and your mind and trust that he already has in some measure and he's continuing to do it because you see this is so crucial to us it's not only crucial to us because because God cares about our inner soul and, and, and that we live in a measure of peace internally but you see this is crucial for what Paul's really concerned about I think in this letter to the church of Philippi and that is the witness of the gospel because you see that you see an anxious people cannot witness well to the truth of Christ. You see, the birds think we're fools because we rush about and worry so. Unbelievers are smarter than birds. And when they see that we're just as anxious about the world situation as they are, when, when they see that we're just as anxious about our lives as they are, they look at us and say, Christ must not really be sufficient. So you remember, in fact, when Paul was talking, uh, was writing to them, I guess it's on this page, when Paul was writing to them, he was speaking to them about this very thing. Because you see, unbelievers can not only observe us and see if we're just as anxious as they are about world events and about our lives, but they can turn up the heat on our anxiety by oppressing us. And so you remember what Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And here it is. And not frightened, that is, not worried, not being anxious, not frightened in anything by your opponents. So you see, when our opponents come against us, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray with thanksgiving that God is with us. And we should make our requests known to him as David made his requests known, as Jehoshaphat made his requests known. 
as Jesus made his request known, each of them facing the enemies of Absalom, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God. And trust that God will bring peace as a guard around your heart and around your mind so that others will see you and say, this gospel's for real. But how do we know that's true? Well, you remember on that same night as Jesus was to face not only his betrayer, but those who would come against him uh, to threaten, to take his very life. You remember on that particular evening, he met with his disciples. And when he did, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples as well. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what do we remember? What do we think about? We think about the very fact that because of Christ, God is indeed our Heavenly Father. Because, you see, we understand that we don't come to Him in prayer on the basis of our own goodness, our own righteousness, but on the basis of Christ. And so when the word comes to us that we're to pray, we really can if we're in Christ because we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we'll receive the righteousness of Christ and we know that we can stand in his very presence. Not only that, we know, and and I hope you love this sentence, that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Most especially the guard that goes around our hearts and our minds to bring to us peace in the midst of all kinds of situations and circumstances that would turn everybody else on their ears. But he guards our hearts and minds with that kind of peace. All because of Christ. Because the Apostle says, the God of uh, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because of Him. And since we're in Christ Jesus, we can trust that He will guard our hearts and minds with this very peace. And of course, it won't be something that's simply psychological. It'll be something spiritual and within because you realize this will surpass all understanding. They won't be able to kind of explain this one. They can write reports if they wish, but they'll just look at us and go, they're weird. Unless it's their God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray even now that you would enable us to see what gives us worry, that causes us anxiety, that causes us to not trust 
but turns our attention away from you to think that it all depends on us. I pray that you would enable us to see those very things and even now before you place them. And I pray that you would hear our requests and that you would bring to us the answer that you promise, which is a guard of peace, your very peace around us, around our minds and our hearts. And that, Father, that we would know that and live in that and walk in that. And even now as we see this table before us, I pray that you would take this bread and this juice. And it will always remain bread and juice. But I pray, Father, that you'll take it and use it to remind us of Christ, to point us to him. And that even, Father, in the mystery of this meal, that you would allow us to meet with Christ, to feed upon him that our faith might grow so that as it does, our worries will diminish. And this, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that this... Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being so near to us in Christ Jesus that we can enter your throne of grace with great boldness in great confidence, knowing as we lay out all that troubles us, that you will help us. And most assuredly, you would grant to us peace, and it will guard us from unbelief and will strengthen our faith so that we might rest, that we might rest in you and you alone. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you that there are elders available to pray in the office area, so please take advantage of that. If you're struggling, if you're anxious, uh, sometimes it helps to pray with another to make your requests known, to trust that God's peace will come to you. I also remind you that the response uh, to the benediction is for us to sing, as we do on these communion Sundays, uh, this great doxology, the praise to God. Now please receive this. As God's benediction, may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you, and may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. And together, let us sing.